Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Chandler United Methodist Church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. We hope you experience our hospitality this morning and you feel welcome in our service. We especially want to welcome our guests. We know you had other opportunities, and we are glad you chose to worship with us. We hope that you will feel welcomed and that you will come back and join us again soon. If you are a guest this morning, you may wish to read the To Our Guest article on the first page of your bulletin to learn about some of our worship features and to make you feel more comfortable. Please take time to read your bulletin announcements. Our missions team this month is supporting homeless students in the Chandler Unified School District. The bulletin lists a number of items that they can use. Our Adult and Family Ministries group is looking for help in bringing refreshments for between services. We can uh, also use help setting up for our I Help guest next Sunday, July 24th. If you would like to see our church service but are not able to physically attend, we are now live streaming the 8.30 service and the bulletin provides more details on how to take advantage of that opportunity. So there are a lot of things going on during the week, and we encourage you to find out about those opportunities by reading your bulletin. There are also some prayer requests in the bulletin, and I'm sure that those people and their families would appreciate your prayers. You can request prayers digitally on our website. Welcome, and may you feel Christ's love this Sunday as you worship with us and go about your lives after the service. You're fast. Where are you sitting? Where are you sitting? You even got sparkling shoes. There you got the green shoes. There you go. Are they comfortable? Good morning. We're going to let God's light shine, aren't we? We yes. are. All right, so last week we talked about loving God, right? Yes. And we talked about loving others. This week. This week we want to talk about doing the right thing and telling the truth. And those were some things that Jesus showed in his life. He did the right thing, right? He always did the right thing, and he always told the truth. Over and over in the Bible you hear Jesus say, I tell you the truth, and he would tell us, the truth. He would tell us a lesson. And so over and over, he did the right thing, and he told the truth, and he demonstrated those things. And so if we're going to do the right thing and, and tell the truth, we need help, don't we? Yes. Can we do it by ourselves? No, no, we can't. We need help. We need God's help to help us. And Jesus said that God was going to send a helper to be with us, the Holy Spirit, to be with us each and every day to help us do the right thing and to help us to tell the truth, right? Yes, And so the Holy Spirit, we're going to be learning about this in Sunday school, starts up today on the fruit of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit works inside of us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. I know we've talked about the fruit of the Spirit before, but let's see if we can fill up our little tree with all the things that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives to help us do the right thing and always tell the truth. All right, can you guys fill up the tree? Yes. I can get the baggie open. All right. Okay, there you go. Tell me what the first one is. 
love. Gentleness. Gentleness. Peace. Peace. Kindness. There you go. Kindness. Faithfulness. Oops, got it. Patience. Patience. Joy. Joy. That's the one we're covering today in Sunday school. Self-control. Self-control. And the last fruit. Godness. Yeah, goodness. God. And so God produces all these things in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And those things help us do the right thing. And it helps us to tell the truth, doesn't it? Yes. It does. And so we need to thank God for doing those things because now we can be successful at these because of what God does in, pr in producing those fruits. So th over the next few Sundays, we're going to learn more about the fruits of the Spirit, and we're going to learn how each one of those help us to do these things. All right, let's pray, and then we'll go to Sunday school and learn more about that joy. All right. Dear God, Dear God help me to do the right thing. Help me to do the right thing. And tell the truth. And tell the truth. And all God's children said. And all God's children say. And amen. Amen. All right. Please stand as you're comfortable for our opening hymn. Almighty fortresses are God, a bulwark never fails.
seated. It's easy to talk about prayer when everything's going well, but when your future is at stake, it's a very different conversation to have. It's nice when things are going well, we pray that little Timmy's schoolwork improves and he can accomplish better grades. And, and we pray that the, the scab on, on our neighbor's knee from where she fell down in the yard, that, that gets better. And, and we give prayers of thanksgiving that the party on Friday night went well and there was enough beer. I'm, I'm actually not sure that that's prayer <laughs> at all. That, that sounds more like self-talk and wishing for magic. And I really don't understand what it means when someone says to me, sending prayers your way. Like we're, we're magically affecting the aura. I don't, I don't even know what that is. I, it's, um, biblical prayer. We're going to talk about it during the sermon, but I, I want biblical prayer. Proshukamahi. It, it's the word for prayer in the Bible. Proshukamahi. It is exchanging what I want for God's way. It's exchanging how I get what I want for God's way. It, it is, prayer is me saying, I trust God's way enough to act different than the world. And where that matters is where prayer really makes a difference. When we're in the hospital and we're in the hallway and we got our hands jammed in our pockets and the lights are, are on, but it's still dark in that place because we're terrified of what's happening in that hospital to someone we love. Where prayer matters is in hospice as we wait for what is coming and we know it's coming and it's terrible whether we're in the bed or whether we're beside the bed. Where prayer matters is in prison or in jail when we've been arrested, we've been accused and arrested and we're sitting, waiting. We got nowhere to go. We're not sure what to do. Proshukamahi, exchanging our way for God's way. Our way is let me talk my way out of this. God's way is let this unfold. Our way is I wanna be in control. God's way is you're not in control, I got this. Proshukamahi relies on God's grasp on us. That's all God promised. I am with you. I don't let go. And, and that really gets in the way of whether the party goes well and has enough beer. I don't know what that's about. 
But when we're in the hospital, when we're in hospice, when we're in jail, that grasp matters. Would you pray with me? Sometimes it feels like the world is headed in the wrong direction, God, and we engage in doom scrolling to kill time, and all it does is cause us anxiety. To be reminded of all the things around us that are happening over which we have absolutely no control. And so in this moment, we have put down our devices. We've turned our attention to your grasp on us. And, and strangely, it is enough. Your grasp is enough. And our hearts are calm. As we say, Amen. The ushers will come forward at this time for the reception of God's tithes and our offerings. And as they do, uh, we're going to sing. There's been a change to the scripture written in the bulletin. We'll be reading this morning from the Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 17 and 21 through 26. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set up by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among them, the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the uh, Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph, called Barshegas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. As they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Messiah, Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Thanks be to God for the gift of scripture. Thank you. You may be seated. 
So I was uh, real excited today because uh, it, it looks like all of the uh, equipment is up and working just like it should, and I'm ready to go. And I forgot to put on my collar mic. And uh, so I'm, no, no, don't bring it to us. No, yeah, I will, we'll just, I'll just go from here. Can you all hear me okay? No, we're good? Uh, we are looking at ourselves as God's creation. Last week we looked at Paul. He, he talked about living like Jesus and he talked about imitating Jesus. He says, when that happens, you become a, a new creation. And, and we're looking at that and, 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 and how this happens. And, and today we're gonna look at the early church and how this got started. Uh, the, the, first we gotta get through the gospels. And all four Gospels, the high point of the Gospels, all four Gospels accounts end with the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and some appearances where Jesus appears to women and men, and all of them are confused and befuddled. They, the Gospels describe them being filled with fear and great joy. The, the Gospels describe them going. The, the Describe them talking, telling. The Gospels describe them telling no one. And I think it's important to, to make note of this. They don't know what to do with themselves. They're, 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 they're in shock. They have a lot of questions. They, they, they know they've been part of something big. They're not sure how to process it. They know that they're afraid of the religious authorities and they're hiding in a house together and, and fear of the religious authorities is always a good idea. Last week we learned that religious people passing by tend to be useless and do absolutely nothing except preserve their status and make sure their hands don't get dirty. <laughs> and well, today we're just gonna point as we go by that religious authorities are dangerous. We, we should all be afraid of them. Uh, religious authority wielding political power never results in good things. Uh, beware. Uh, all four Gospels end by underscoring, underlining that after everything the religious authorities do, everything they pull off, the religious leaders and their lackeys and their political jostling and, and uh, positioning their alignment with the Roman Empire, they, they get Jesus killed. The Gospels end by stressing that after all of that, God speaks a single final word. God speaks life. And Jesus is raised from the dead. And we're seeing now Jesus starting to appear. The Gospels end with some appearances. And his message to his disciples is, don't be panicked. The God capable of resurrecting me is working among you. And yet the disciples aren't, aren't ready to hear this. Uh, uh, in fact, they even, the Gospels tell us, they have a hard time recognizing Jesus even when he stands among them. Or two of them in the Gospel of Luke are headed to Emmaus, walking that seven miles, and Jesus is walking among them, with them, and they can't recognize him in that process. They recognize him in the breaking of bread, 
And then they run seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell everybody else. They're, they're confused by all of that, which brings us to our scripture reading today. The author of Luke is the author of the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. And Luke picks up in the book of Acts right where the gospel of Luke ends, uh, uh, right with that same level of confusion. Acts begins with, and Jim, at my request, we changed the scripture reading from Luke, or, uh, Acts 2 to Acts 1, certain passages, and, and I hope you are picking up that the disciples are baffled and they're fumbling around, they're bumping into each other. They, they, they don't know what they should do. We, we don't know where they are. We know they seem to be outside at this point when Jesus appears to them because he goes into the sky, not the ceiling. And so we presume he's outside, not in Jerusalem, because he says, go back to Jerusalem. So they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They're fumbling. And just as an aside, I find this incredibly comforting. The disciples have been part of something big and profound and it's life-changing and it seems to have come to an end and they are expecting to grieve. Jesus is dead. He's in the ground, done, end of story. But, but no, uh, he, 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 he's alive and he's appearing to people. It is all incredibly hard to take in, very isolating. I, I think the disciples isolating themselves is very telling of how traumatic that is. People going through trauma tend to isolate themselves, perfectly normal response. Traumatic to anyone's system, and, and, and right outside the door, the threat continues. Uh, the, the religious authorities are still snooping, sniffing, wanting to get their hands on these disciples, wanting to wipe out a few of them like bowling pins. Jesus has appeared to them. Jim read that for us. Uh, tells them to wait in Jerusalem. And, of course, they interrupt him with question. Well, is this going to be the time when you bring about your kingdom? Because they kind of expect that. There's going to be a holy war, and Jesus is going to resolve all the tensions and all that and take over command and build a kingdom on earth. And he says, that's not for you to know. But here's something you might want to know. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, and so anytime anybody says the word power, that tends to get attention especially when it's God-given power. Everybody likes that. Everybody wants that. So everybody leans in and says, okay, how do I get this power? I love power. I want to be in charge. Sound familiar? <laughs> they're leaning in. They're, they're listening like we do. They're wondering what this power coming to them is going to give them power to do Jesus continues, he says, you will be the ones to tell what God has done through me to the ends of the earth. And, and Jesus continues to talk, he kind of comes to an end, and, and it's not clear the disciples are done asking all of their questions, and all of a sudden, without announcement, Jesus begins to, 
elevate? I, what, what's the way he's lifted into the sky? I, I mean, slow, is it slow or is it fast? And they're looking at the soles of his feet, and then they're trying to keep an eyeball on him as he goes up. And at some point, their mouths just have go from talking to being agape because anything I'm saying isn't making a bit of difference here. And, and so at some point, the disciples stop talking, and they stand there just looking up with their mouth open for flies to come in. And, and then he becoming harder to see. And, and then you can't see him anymore. And then what do you, they just keep looking up at the sky. And then suddenly there are two men, the text says two men are standing among them. Uh, we don't know if these are angels. We're going to presume they are angels. Uh, who say, men of Galilee, why are you standing there staring at the sky? <laughs> Isn't that the way it is? Isn't that how it is when we've been through big, life-changing, shuddering events? We've been part of something profound. Our, our lives are being changed. It's worth processing, but, but we don't know how to process it. And then we don't know if we should not tell anybody or if we should tell everybody. We don't know if we should stay put or we don't know if we should start running towards something. We're, we're looking hard at, at what's happened, uh, but it's no longer right in front of us. And, and someone asks us, how's it going? And, and we suddenly realize there is no way we're going to get words around what is going on in us. And we are befuddled, and our feet, uh, should we move it? Do we stay? Do, um, we realize uh, we, we're confused. And to be quite frank, uh, we feel a little bit dumb. Because when we feel out of control, we feel dumb. And so, of course, we don't want to be out of control. We, we want that power. So we're looking pretty hard today at that. What does it mean to be given power by the Holy Spirit? What is that about? Uh, and, and what do we do when we don't know what to do? Well, the disciples didn't know what to do, so John tells us they went fishing, because that's what they know to do. A lot of them were fishermen. They know how to fish, so we'll just go fishing. You ever had a season when you didn't know what to do. You, you've been through something big and profound and life-changing, and, and, but, but now what? The, the summer after graduating from high school is, is that way. You're, you, you finished high school, yeah, but now what? And you usually call up your old friends and you go party with them, but God, they seem so old and blasé already, and I, I'm moving on to something else. I got to get ready for, for what? I don't know. Being between jobs is a lot like that. It's befuddling. Getting married is a lot like that. Life-changing, big event. And we want to get in it. Get in that marriage. And, and okay, now what? The, the novelty wears off pretty fast. And uh, uh, oh, oh, another, uh, go through a divorce. You know exactly what that is. One of my friends from seminary went through a divorce soon after, and I remember talking to him on the phone back before we had anything else. I said, what's it like? And he said, I'll tell you what it's like. He said, uh, 
we separated, of course, and, and I went and got an apartment, and then that apartment kind of blew through, and I still had to go sign the papers, and so I went over to her house, our old house, and I loaded up everything that I had into my, I don't remember what the vehicle was, um, and I went out and got in the car after we'd signed everything, and I started the car and put the car in drive, and I realized I did not know where I was going. Getting bad medical news is a lot like that. You, you come out of the doctor's office and you're blinking and the sunshine in the parking lot is stunning and it stills you and where do you go? And if you've lost a loved one, if you've buried a child, if you've had to plan the funeral for your life partner, you know exactly what the, well, you can go, but where? You can do, but what? It, and it's a powerful, it's a mighty feeling. You're, you're in a slump. You're confused. You're disoriented. You're in a fog that you can't shake. You're stumbling and fumbling. You're going through the motions, existing in a stupor. Nothing feels right. can also be a time of incredibly powerful anxiety because our internal logic says, well, I have faith, so I should conquer this. I should feel better than I do right now, so I must be doing something wrong. And it becomes a time of great frustration and outbursts and debilitating depression. And it's right here among the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus. And in all of the appearances, Jesus doesn't dismiss it or diminish it or fix it. He just lets it be. Maybe our faith is not about fixing it when we feel disoriented. Maybe our faith is not about invalidating how we feel by throwing out religious words. Maybe our place is just to reside in what is happening, to be there. And you know where I got that idea? Jesus, talking to the disciples. He says, go back to Jerusalem where the religious authorities are trying to get a hold of your hides and stay there in that uncomfortable place of not knowing what is coming. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And it's going to be big. He doesn't say this, but it's what happens. It doesn't change their situation. This, this, this interpretation, this larger reading of Scripture, it becomes a real problem for we American Christians and what our cultural church has become. There are a lot of people who will say to you, God never gives you more than you can handle. Okay. But this Scripture says otherwise. This Scripture says our existence is more than we can handle so we keep going back and talking with God about it and our frustration and our disorientation and our stupor. Following God's way is always more than we can handle. And the, and the second problem this creates for American Christianity, 
is there is no promise here. I haven't found, I looked. There's no promise in this text or any other text that things are going to work out great for followers of Jesus. And, 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 well, if you listen to the preachers for our cultural religion, they're really quick to tell you that God has willed for you a great life and a wonderful house and exceptional friends and uh, successful children and, and if you're faithful. And, and if that's not happening for you, you must not be faithful enough. Uh, and, and they've got uh, American success stories to tell you. And they've got cherry-picked scriptures that they've ripped out of the larger text to back it up. And our culture just follows that dream down the road. And American Christianity, I would say, American Christianity is a great example of what happens when we base our expectations on less than the whole story. When we're willing to do violence to the scripture to support what we want, and that's what happens. And if we read the whole story, if we go looking, what, what happened to all the disciples, Simon and Peter and James and John and Bartholomew, in the end? Most of them are arrested in one way or another. A lot of them are driven out of towns. God's way leads to public trials and kangaroo courts and accusations and imprisonment and exile and execution for every last one of them. So that idea that God is just waiting to bless us and make it all good and the American success story is the biblical story, uh-uh. Not if you read Scripture. More than two words or three words or one sentence that someone has ripped out of Scripture. Well, so the disciples return to Jerusalem and they wait, and the text listed all of them. It's like the text is on pause, too, like Luke is making a point. We're waiting, and here's who waiting, and lists all the people who are there, all the disciples are there, Jesus' brothers are there, all the women are there, and Jesus' name, or Luke names them in writing Acts. And the text says they committed themselves to praying at all times, and... and this is not, oh, God, heal little Timmy's sore toe, and oh, God, take care of grandma's bursitis. This is interacting with conversation that we have when we're running the vacuum cleaner because we don't know what else to do. It's an ongoing conversation that we have in the car with the windows rolled up and the radio turned off because we're frustrated and disoriented in this life, and we're asking God to help us sort it out. My way for God's way. God, where is your way in this? We interact with God. It's, it's a conversation. It's an expression of, of what God began in the Garden of Eden. What did God want in the Garden of Eden? Time with Adam and Eve. Come spend time with me, walking among the cool of the evening. It's an expression of that. It's, it's talking and listening and waiting God's way. Prayer is the intentional exchange. What I want for what God wants, my way for God's way. It changes our expectations. 
It changes what we boast about. It changes how we understand who we are. It changes how we understand who our enemies are. What it doesn't change is our situation. And it did not change the situation for the disciples. They were in Jerusalem in a house with the doors locked, the windows closed, and they waited. And, they, and, and, and I had Jim read this at the end, the second half of the first chapter is about the disciples. Peter finally stands up. He doesn't know what else to do. So Peter starts talking. <laughs> of course he does. Peter has a gift with the mouth, right? We saw that before. And all they can do is figure out a way to replace Judas. Well, we had 12, we've got 11, we better get, well, we got now 12. Okay, Matthias, you're on, great. And the next chapter, chapter two in the book of Acts begins with the story of the Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit among them. And this is what they've been waiting for and, and it's profound, it's life changing. It, it's gonna turn the corner for them the first profound thing was the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the second is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and they walked through those days with heightened listening. They were listening for anything, intuiting, trying to, what's coming? They were waiting. And, and what came? What could God be saying to us? Well, the Holy Spirit came it, uh, uh, with wind and fire and voices. And it gifted the church with listening and speaking and understanding. So that people who formerly could not talk with one another now could. Could understand one another. I have heard a lot of preachers through the years focus on the fire coming and explaining, oh, this is fire that doesn't burn, it's special fire, and tongues of flame, even though the text doesn't say tongues of flame, the text says tongues. But there's fire too. And, and they turn it into this divisive browbeating about believing whatever it is the preacher says, and they kind of ignore the text, and the Holy Spirit has come, hooray, and then the service is over and they're done, and it misses the point of the text. What's the point of the text, you ask? Ah, here we go. There's two. The first point of the text, and this is why there's fire. The first point of the text is fire. God's presence, and, and it recalls to our minds, any of us who have read some of the Bible will remember, you know, there's been other times that there was fire, and it was a sign that God showed up, and, and actually there's three that are coming to mind, and they're all back in the book of Exodus. The, for the first time is Moses is in a crisis. He's fumbling through life. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He runs away from a bad situation to, Hor to Horeb, and he tries to, to, to take safety there, to find safety, and God finds him, says, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground, and begins to speak to him through a burning bush, flames, the text says, flames that do not consume. And Moses is made capable of going back and confronting Pharaoh. Whoa. 
Moses is gifted with speaking and listening. And, and then it happens again in Exodus 13. Uh, the Israelites have gotten away from the Egyptians and now they're headed into the wilderness and God is saying, I want you to be my people, my unique people, different from the ways of the world. Follow me and God leads them as a pillar of fire. And then there's a third time in Exodus 19 when God says to Moses, come up on Mount Sinai with me, just you and me. And God makes Moses capable of shaping and fashioning a people. The fire is on top of the mountain and the mountain quakes. The first point of the text is that God is very much present in what is happening in that gathering of the first church. That's what the fire tells us. Fire which does not consume. Fire which makes capable. Luke ended with, with two disciples marching, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, hoping, I don't know what they were hoping, we don't know what happened in Emmaus, or what they're, why they're going to Emmaus. Jesus walks among them, they recognize him in the breaking of bread, and then they run back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples, and they utter these words, did not our hearts burn within us. The fire is present there too. That's the first point. God is present in the coming of the Holy Spirit. The, the second point is what the coming of the Holy Spirit brings. When we get to the end of the story, and, and simple, and what has happened? In a, in a single sentence, what has happened? What has happened is people who could not understand each other now can. People who spoke a different language from one another now can. People who could not listen to each other because it didn't make sense, now it makes sense. That's the Pentecost miracle right there. That's the task of the church. That's what we're about. Those are the conditions we are to create. That's what we're about. That's, what, that's why we, we come to, one of the reasons we come together, why we exist as a church, to create the conditions where people who speak a different language from one another can talk to one another, where people who couldn't even listen to each other before now can. And of course, and of course, the shaking and the rattling and the movement and the wind blowing, there's no glass in the windows, so sound gets out. Nobody had to take announcement of what was happening. The announcement took itself. Everybody in the neighborhood could hear. And so the text tells us people were coming and standing around outside of the house going, what's going on in there? And of course, most people who saw it and heard it were amazed and stunned and didn't have anything to say. But of course, there were always some critics in every crowd. And the critics, the text tells us, the critics, of course, had to talk. That's the surest sign of someone with a critical heart. They always got something to say about everything. And they stand there and they criticize and they mock. They criticize all those people in there. They think they're so smart. And they mock. God, 
those people must be drunk. But something's different now, and Peter starts to talk again. But he's got something to say now. He says it's not about being smart. It, it's about praying our way through tough times when we're not in control. It, it's when we don't know what to do. It's proshukamahi. Trusting in what God is bringing into our midst, down the road to us. Being open. Looking for a way that is not our own, God's way. And Peter continues, he says, it's about the Holy Spirit rendering people capable Ordinary people capable of what they could not do before. Talk with people who speak an entirely different language who they don't want to talk to. Peter, up until this point, has excelled in saying all the wrong things, and now he excels in saying the right thing. And he interprets then, he keeps talking. Peter has a gift. He keeps talking. He, he unfolds for the crowd the story of Jesus, his ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection. It's, it's the words we use, we say in preparation for communion, almost verbatim. God sent Jesus as a sign. Wicked people, wicked people conspired and killed him. God said a final word and resurrected. And the people, the crowd around outside the house said, well, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Repent. We've got a Greek lesson here. Real quick. Metaneho. That's the word, Greek. Metaneho. Repent. And Greek is a Lego language, so... Repent, metaneho, means what meta and neho mean. Meta means change coming. So being someone in whom change comes. And neho means conviction at the level of the bottom line of our existence. Changing who we are at the bottom line. To repent changes the bottom line of our life. It changes the purpose of our life. From the way of the world to God's way. From trying to sink our lives with the powers of the world to try to sink our life with the one capable of resurrection. And baptism is simply the acknowledgement that God is the most powerful one in my existence. It's a God's claim on us. It's leaning in. It's an openness to the Holy Spirit working in us. And last week we noticed in Jesus' first public sermon, Jesus acknowledges living in God's way incites critics. And he offers three steps for us to follow God's way. He says, pray for them. Proshukamahi. Commit ourselves to God's way and pray that they might see God's way so you can all be on the same page. The second thing he says is bless, eulogio. Speak to them. Even though they're criticizing you, speak to them about how you see God in them, active in them. It opens up a possibility for conversation. Wait a minute, I'm criticizing you and you're telling me how you see God in me? What is that all about? Ah, 
People who couldn't talk before now have a conversation. People speaking a different language can now understand one another. Huh. And then Jesus says, do good to them. Poliokalesi. Which is just another opportunity. You're, you're, you're doing good to somebody who's doing bad to you. You're being kind when they're being indecent. You're, you're unwaveringly committed to being honorable when they're not. And they look on it, it's an opportunity for them to be stunned and eventually maybe appreciate you. And over time, over time, over time, wait for it, what was not possible becomes possible. People who can't talk to each other suddenly are able to talk with one another. They find themselves able to understand one another. And today in our scripture reading, we, we see the first Christian community doing these very things, praying, getting their minds off the ways of the world and what they expect to have happen and get their minds on God and what God can do here. Speaking about how they have seen God in the past and anticipating and waiting for how God might move in their midst. And then third, as they waited and practiced in God's way, they talked about how they cared for one another. That's what that listing of names was all about. These were the people who were here and they cared about each other. They know each other by name. And when the Holy Spirit came into their midst, everyone found themselves capable of what was not possible before. Jerusalem is a multicultural town and everyone who was there was understood and felt understood, included and welcomed. And it says, the text tells us, 3,000 people were baptized. This is the power we receive through the Holy Spirit. This is the power of the church. We are looking at what God is doing. We are looking at being new creations in Jesus. The Apostle Paul says that when we live like Jesus, when we imitate Jesus, and Paul says when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, we become a new creation. And we'll talk more about it next week.
May the Spirit of God whom we see and follow in the person of Jesus Christ go before you to show you the way, behind you to nudge you forward when you don't know where to go or even how to move. Above you to watch over you, beside you to be sometimes the only friend you have in this world, and within you that you might have peace. Go always in his peace. Amen. 